and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Ross Gallagher, and in today's show, we're going to be talking all about fintech and digital transformation in the Middle East. In recent years, financial technology has been transforming the delivery of financial services across the Middle East. And to help dive into this topic, I'm lucky to be joined by some very excellent guests. So making their Fintech Insider debuts. First up, we have Mike Cunningham, Chief Strategy and Digital Officer at Bank Saudi Francie. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. Nice to uh, to see you again and for having me back on an 11FS kind of uh, broadcast. Always a pleasure. Always great to have you. It's always the pleasure is always ours. Um, Mike, just for um, our listeners, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're sort of currently focusing on at BSF? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm just going to focus on digital stuff. There's a lot more stuff that I cover. But let me just tell you a little bit about digital. And it, it's just mental at the moment. Um, we're in the middle of building a new venture. We're in the middle of planning a new venture, the second one. We're working with lots of fintechs in terms of you know what we can do through balance sheet deployment, investment in fintech. We're exploring bank as a service. We're creating a new digital three-year plan. And we're building a kick-ass kind of team as well. So I'm hiring. So if any listeners, drop me your CV on mike.c at bsfdv.com because I need the best talent. We've got a great team, but I need more. Nice, Mike. You've got a captive audience as well uh, among our <laughs> listenership. So, so that was good. Um, and Mike, you know, a lot going on there, just as you said, in the digital space, that doesn't take everything else into account. And I guess that's um, illustrative, really, of, of where you see the market and the opportunity. Uh, currently in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, no, it's epic. Yeah, so excited about the whole thing. Very upbeat. Excellent. Well, look, Mike, as I said, great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Um, and next up, we have Amir Farhasemi, uh, founder and CEO of Jingle Pay. Amir, thanks for joining us. No problem. You're actually probably one of the first people that pronounced it uh, almost correctly, my last name. Oh, wow. It's pretty difficult. I'll take almost. Right. Emphasis on almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amir, again, just for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about Jingle Pay, maybe you guys' mission and, and, and sort of the journey so far? Yeah, I mean, uh, for all those listeners that are, um, you know, out of Europe or US, I mean, we're launching a similar type of neobank as to Revolut and 26 and uh, the major ones that started the first wave uh, out of the Middle East. Uh, and for those of you that are in this part of the world, in the Arab world, you're probably familiar that there's about 168 million people lacking access to a basic bank account. A lot of banks are using legacy type platforms and uh, there's a huge gap between what's happening right now in the fintech space and, you know, the, the major push that's being, uh, uh, you know, the challenges that are uh, the challenger banks and the new banks that are challenging these uh, incumbents. I mean, it hasn't started here yet. And, you know, we're probably one of the first to enter this market as a neobank and have that first market mover advantage. So, I mean, there's a lot that we're targeting in terms of uh, remittance, in terms of outward remittance. I mean, this market in the UAE, it's second in, uh, in the world after U.S. Uh, in terms of outward remittance. So, I mean, you look at the UAE population, it's uh, it's quite small, but the market size is tremendous because of all the expats that are here sending money back home uh, every month. And the same thing with Saudi. I mean, Saudi, typically Saudi and uh, UAE are either second or third uh, every single year. And it's, uh, you know, they're both huge markets in the, in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, just banking here is just, uh, it's hectic. I mean, 
for anyone that's been to Dubai and is a resident out here, you know, opening up a bank account. I mean, it's first of all, the customer service is uh, nothing like what you would possibly expect in the States and in, in Europe. So there's a huge lack of the right customer service that uh, people should be getting. In terms of transparency, it's practically zero. I mean, uh, there's always hidden fees. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, there's other fintechs that are trying to solve this problem for everyone else because I mean this is the this is the core essential thing you need for anything. You want to start a business, you need a bank account. You want to make a payment, you need to have somewhere where you could store funds in. And it's uh, you know uh, you know even the United Nations and World Bank they talk about you know these 11 points that uh, six of them have to do with financial inclusion as a way to eradicate poverty. So it's a it's a big it's a big problem we're all trying to solve here and uh, we're doing justice in our community um, by launching this and it's very exciting as well because it's uh, it gives the the right user experience the customer deserves better transparency easy account opening something that could take you know a few weeks to a few months depending if you're a retail customer or a business I mean you could do this within a few minutes now I know the the financial inclusion piece is something that I know you guys are super passionate about over at Jingle Pay. And definitely something that we'll get onto as we move through the show. I'm just going to bring in our next guest returning to the show, uh, our very own Kate Moody, Senior Customer and Product Lead here at 11FS. Uh, welcome back, Kate. Good to have you. Thanks very much. Yeah, um, I think Amir's touched on lots of the things that we're going to talk about today, but I'm I'm super excited for this one. It's one of the most fascinating regions of the world in terms of you know, the, the fintech space um, and the, the requirements and needs that customers have. So super excited for this one. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and a huge amount of passion, I think, um, from people that are really trying to transform financial services in the Middle East. And I think, again, you know, the, the reasons for doing it, there were all the right reasons. Um, okay, so let's jump right into it and start with some scene setting and an overview of the fintech market in the Middle East. Um, Amir, I think you touched on this a little bit in your intro, but it'd be good to get, I guess, your perspective really from the cold face of you know, what, what's the state currently of um, fintech and digital financial services in the Middle East? And I suppose, how is that evolving? Look, I mean, uh, this market here is, it's, it's, comp- it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, you, you have to have the good relationships. I mean, until recently, it's almost impossible to get bin sponsorship. No matter how big you are, if you're a Revolut, no matter who you are, it's very, they don't want to give you bin sponsorship because they don't want competition. You know, Mike's probably very familiar with that. And, uh, you know, Saudi is probably difficult as well, but, you know, from, uh, uh, I mean, I think UAE is one of the most difficult places to get uh, bin sponsorship, but it's evolving. I mean, right now, a few of the banks are being a bit more responsive and, you know, especially I think a lot of this has to do with COVID because after COVID, hap- after when, when COVID hit the market, um, you know, a lot of banks, they started seeing their costs rising and the government's pushing more towards digitization. Banks are closing branches. Basically, everything's going towards digital. And I mean, this is what the people want. The regulators just started to come out with the recent frameworks for the providing money service uh, license, which is similar to the EMI license. And, uh, you know, this is basically paving the way and it's being pushed by uh, all different parties. I mean, the banks are a little bit more hesitant because they don't trust fintechs. Because fintechs don't have bank-like AML policy. I mean, this is something. If you know, this is this is something you won't hear from everyone. But I mean, for anyone who is launching a similar type platform, they've probably heard this at least one time. Talking to one of the banks, because this is the most important thing for the bank is risk and compliance and how you're handling your controls and policies. 
I think I think that's probably a very good point. I think it's clear from what you're saying. I think maybe the um, have the banks really figured out yet just how to work with fintechs? Is there still a, a sense of distrust? Um, and is there still a sense of a, a worry from the banks almost that these guys are going to eat their lunch? I think it's a, it's an interesting um, one to come in on, Mike. But I suppose maybe you could offer us uh, the uh, the big bank perspective. Yeah, I, I think you know when I look at you know that that kind of scene setting, that context piece, and you know I've been here since two thousand and eight, and and nothing's changed, or not enough has changed to say nothing's wrong. It's just not enough's changed, you know. In 2008, we're in the middle of the financial crisis. You know, I was at Big Bank. We were getting bailed out just like lots of other banks were. You know, even even back then, right, you know, and still, all the markets here are overbanked, right? But we're still able to go and generate double-digit returns on equity north, north of 20%. I mean, where do you hear that anywhere else? Just insane. And And why? Why were we able to do that? Well, because we charged a lot, right? And despite the market being overbanked, there wasn't much competition because there's no differentiation. Everyone was me too, and customers just put up with the mediocre because that's it. You got no choice. Fast forward up to 2017, banks still say, you know, even then we're kind of, oh, I'm digital. You know, I've got an app. I've got an app that sits on a watch, right? Come off it, right? Just insane. And I think, you know, now things are, are really starting to pivot because people have choice, people demand more, people want that level of immediacy that they have. And with that, things begin to kind of change. And, you know, slowly our regulators are coming around to it. We're getting the right infrastructure in country in terms of, you know, public cloud availability, et cetera, VC and PE money, you know, flooding in. And banks like us, we're starting to move. So, you know, I, you know what Amir is saying around, we don't have a robust policy like a bank does on AML and risk, et cetera. It is somewhat true, but guess what? You know, having been on both the, you know, the, the startup side and big bank side, I, I see it from both sides, but unfortunately the regulators demand that it has to be kind of, you know, up to standards. And this is where, you know, FinTech has to raise its game to get to a certain level of standard. But also, banks have got to think of uh, fit-for-purpose ways of working together. And uh, so it's a bit of give and take on both sides. And and I think, you know, Amir said, you know, banks are, are scared of us. I think some are. Probably most banks would be. But, you know, you get the right people inside the bank and they realize that, you know what, as banks, we're going nowhere, right? You know, we've got massive balance sheets. We're the ones that can do big corporate lending deals, that type of thing. It's where a lot of the money's kind of have made. And uh, but actually, by partnering up with fintech, the sum of the parts can be so beneficial to us all. We've just got to get together. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. And look, those are those are such valuable insights into the state of play at the moment, and particularly that sort of um, the ways of working, Mike, that you mentioned. Um, Kate, I think Mike mentioned a lot of the sort of the drivers that are enabling change at the moment. Things like technology, things like um, regulation, which we'll get on to. Um, I think further on in the show. One thing I'm really interested to get your your perspective on is the things I suppose that you mentioned as well that are demanding changes, those customer expectations. And I know this is something that you look at quite a lot. And, you know, what are your thoughts around maybe how those expectations are changing in the Middle East? And like Mike mentioned, you know, being shaped a little bit by 
social media and e-commerce and that immediacy that, that Mike sort of mentioned? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I guess it probably won't be a surprise to Mike and Emma, but I suppose if you've not spent much time looking at this region, I think the thing that's always surprising is the levels of tech adoption and, and social media usage, which are just commonplace across most of the markets in this region. You know, I've saw amazing stats about mobile penetration in UAE of you know, 173%. Um, Snapchat usage in, in Saudi Arabia is, is totally like off the roof. Um, so these are markets with, you know, predominantly young tech savvy populations that I suppose to Mike's point have put up with mediocre services because there's been no choice but once that choice is there and is made open to them they're ready to to get on board with it they're ready to embrace it um, so really it's about the market coming to meet what the customers are ready for um, and, and that's kind of what's so exciting about this region there's so many customers that are calling out for better financial services uh, and fintech and big banks are starting to to kind of come into that space, which is which is why it's moving so quickly. Yeah, that's a really nice insight because it, it speaks to sort of creating that virtuous circle, right? It's you you sort of like meet customers sort of halfway and realize that the appetite is there, and then that appetite continues to grow as your proposition and, and your product offering continues to evolve. Amir, I'm I'm really interested to understand, I guess, where all that sort of passion around financial inclusion comes from. Where did you guys sort of understand and spot the the gap in the market and what's that journey been like um to date yeah that's a very interesting story um because i was uh i was born and raised in uh, los and i went to middle school here in uh, dubai shoifat which was one of the two basically schools that take you up to grade 12 uh, before going to university and then I left to the States where I went to high school and university. And the first time I got into financial services, I got introduced to this hedge fund. And, uh, you know, I started working in the back office. And I mean, it's, it was uh, it's very different because um, it's a different style of so exact opposite of investment banks. I mean, the guys wearing T-shirts, jeans, like uh, Wolf of Wall Street style. So. I went to, uh, you know, I learned the whole business and I started managing my own fund there. I was a director of an ASIC regulated firm. And uh, next thing you know, it, I was moving over a billion dollars a year. And, you know, I was investing left and right in capital raising events. So, you know, take um, Twitter, Ferrari, Rocket Internet, Japan Post Bank, you know, Repressa, you name it. So, uh, and I was investing in a, so I basically got to a point where, you know, because I was on the buy side, I, I started to understand more what investors like to see and what they want to buy. Because end of the day, it's like a snowball effect. I mean, one person buy, one person builds it, next person buys it and wants to sell it. I mean, for the founders, it's a bit more emotional journey because they're trying to really make a change. But then there's a, there's other investors that they want to make a few times X on their investment. And uh, it's all supply and demand, right? So... Fintech started becoming really hot in the in 2015 onwards. And when I was in the States, I mean, Venmo was pretty, um, you know, everyone, Venmo was like the Uber of, uh, of the States. You go out with your friends, you want to split a bill through, but just Venmo it to me. And uh, I was, you know, I'm, a, I'm very passionate about Venmo. And, you know, I mean, that's when I started getting into Fintech. And uh, I, I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, one of my childhood passions was to have my own bank and Growing up in the Middle East, going through this whole cycle and journey, I, I noticed this whole concept of financial inclusion. And, you know, my co-founder was very big in this in the whole region because 
He's one of the leaders in the space, and uh, he launched the first microfinance bank in Pakistan. And um, you know, he has a few decades of experience, and he's one of the most influential figures there. So, uh, you know, we got together, and we're like, uh, you know, we all share the mission and uh, to tackle this market with financial inclusion. And this whole thing with, for example, companies like Revolut and uh, N26, Monzo. I mean, these guys started the whole journey, and uh, you know, basically showed us what we didn't think what we didn't think we we didn't know if we needed or didn't need this before i mean i remember before those players came in the market i mean everyone was kind of ex- accepting to what their banks are doing and it's boring and it's slow and we, we didn't think that it's possible for it to become better and i mean these i really respect the founders of these companies because they really changed the view other founders had in the space and i think they brought a lot of other fintechs into this into this space like you know why not do this in this market i mean i'm from this i'm from this country or i know this there's a huge problem let's go and tackle that space so there's different players that are tackling different niche markets i think that's a key point like now you've got players that are solving for very real customer problems things like financial exclusion like you mentioned i think 168 million across the uh the arab world without access to a basic bank account i mean that can only be a good thing i think Mike, just to bring you back in, I think, you know, on the face of it, whilst problems faced by customers in in sort of different Middle Eastern countries probably appear similar, you know, things like financial exclusion, things like lower levels of financial literacy, independence, etc. I think it's probably fair to say, and I think you probably agree that there is no sort of one size fits all proposition for the Middle East. Totally. And you know what, you guys at 11FS kind of helped me really kind of crystallize that i would say um you know the the you know the power of those cultural norms those national identities those local cultures make 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 such a massive part in how you design value propositions here you'll remember right both ross and kate you know you know when you worked with me on on something in saudi you know the level of insights that we gained from you know, those kind of cultural immersions, the ethnographic studies that were done, that, you know, the jobs to be done framework that we followed, all the other primary research that we did. And I don't mind saying, I still think it's the best piece of consultant work I've ever bought in my 25 years of buying professional services. So well done, uh, Team 11FS on that. But, 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 you know, honestly, it's well deserved. Um, The the level of um, insight you'll remember remember when we presented it to the board of directors and to exco and you know all saudis except for me i'm the odd one out and and people around that table said you taught me about something about my culture and my country right you're right that's exactly what you know what what it needs and and this is why you look at other kind of you know foreign players that have come in and have failed. There's plenty that have done it right. You know, it doesn't have to be fintech. You know, McDonald's succeeds everywhere it goes, but it hyper localizes, right? You have the Micarabia at McDonald's, right? I'm not trying to promote it. You know, it's it's junk. But anyway, um, you know, they get it. They know they've got to do something different, and we're no different in terms of what we do on uh, on digital. And you know, all too often as Westerners look at the Gulf, look at the Middle East and think one size fits all. Well, it doesn't. What works in in Riyadh might not, will not work in Dubai and vice versa. It's as, it's, it's as diverse as that. And, um, you know, so lifting and dropping something 
that works in London or works in Dubai into Saudi, it ain't going to work. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's kind of what's the most exciting thing about where the, the industry seems to be at now. I think a lot of the earlier fintech developments that we saw in the Middle East were maybe more focused on serving for, for those expat communities, serving for those markets that were in the, in, near the Middle East, but maybe not totally immersed in those local national cultures and those particular problem spaces that affect customers in in each individual market and and now we're starting to see that shift where now we're starting to see fintechs that are solving for those audiences and and trying to understand those audiences and what they're looking for and what they need Um, and and that's really exciting to see. I'd like to add on uh, something really important here you know we're talking about audiences and uh, something that it's not a one-size-fits-all so it's important to understand the the culture and people out here because there's so many people here. They're just working and sending money back home, and they don't speak English. I mean, you don't have you don't have uh, you know like let's look at the migrant workers. I mean, some of them their English is so poor. Some of the banks are the, the, the language in their bank is all English, and uh, I mean they cannot use it. So you have to create something personalized for them. So I mean that's just one specific niche market, but. I mean, uh, there's lots of examples here. I mean, it's lots of different nationalities, lots of expats, you know, just millennials. There was a report by Zawaya yesterday. Um, you know, majority of the millennials, they're looking for it. They're looking for a uh, alternative. Uh, you know, instead of using their bank, they want to move and use their, uh, they want to use, the, they're happy to use the tech player as a secondary bank. I mean, and uh, I mean, that's what, you know, the thing, like, if you think about is, all these other neobanks, you know, what we're doing, we're basically like your secondary bank account. And the monetization we have to think about is, you know, going through this journey, how we how we can get to a point where we become your first bank account. So, I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a whole journey that we have to, I mean, there was a interview where, uh, you know, the, the N26 Monzo and uh, the other guys, uh, they were all sitting down and the guy was asking them, you know, I mean, the, the average stored value they create, and this has to do with regulatory requirements as well, because you have restrictions over there as well. But, you know, how do you increase the amount each customer is holding in their account? And, you know, that requires to create savings products and different add different verticals that would uh, that you could cross out to your uh, to your customers. So it's uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on for days and talk. Yeah, you know, look in the addressable market and the segment that, that Amir and team are going after, you know, don't underestimate the, the level of illiteracy as well. So it's not just about what language they speak, it's what they can actually read and write as well. How do you design for that, for the, you know, the really kind of deprived end on that financial inclusion, right? That You know, they great, they got smartphone, but it's definitely not going to be an iPhone. But how do you build an app that has all of the accessibility to manage, you know, um, not just financial illiteracy, but true kind of illiteracy. Very different, big challenge. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think, you know, probably back to Kate's earlier point though, it, it, you know, having starting and having that, that really, really granular understanding of your customers. I think Mike, you mentioned earlier, you know, national identities. Um, I think it's very important to understand the role of, 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 of national identity. It's, it's the history, it's the tradition, you know, that, that you build in when you're trying to, to figure out how to solve for these problems. You know, I think what we talked about was this idea of sort of using traditional values as an anchor, um, which then sort of allows you to address customer problems in a way that's both relevant and authentic. 
but building in some of those more modern and you know possibly external influences that um, customers have have come to expect, like we said, from interacting with social media providers and e-commerce providers, but that also help you sort of distinguish and differentiate the proposition, I suppose, from um, from what's already on the market. And I think there's lots of good examples. And Mike, actually, I think it was you that um, first sort of brought this this one to my attention. It was the Kareem Uber example, you know, a really good example of where Uber thought they could lift their existing offering into Saudi had no understanding of the the cultural significance of cash. I mean, you 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 can you can take it from there, Mike. It's your story. Uh, no, no, that that's exactly it, right? You know, Uber's there. It's the you know the big guy. They launch. They're not really that successful. A couple of ex consultants from I think it was Bain. Uh, yeah, I think it was Bain or McKinsey went off and said, "Let's copy this, but let's hyper localize it." And, you know, not everyone has cards. Not everyone wants to pay with that cash. It's still a big cash society, the Middle East. So they allow you to pay by cash. And all of a sudden, Kareem just kicks ass and does everything. And what happens? It gets bigger than Uber and then Uber buy it. Brilliant exit for everybody that invested in that. And damn, I missed it. But hey-ho, say la vie. <laughs> they got to work a bit more. Oh, well, on that note, I'm going to take us through to a break. This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by MyTech, combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology. Only MyTech delivers banking-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and costs. Discover more at mytechsystems.com. This episode is also brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They're reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. Do you follow 11FS on LinkedIn? If you don't, you should. We make video content over there that you don't want to miss out on. And we're starting not one, but two new live shows. On Tuesdays, we're going to dive into the biggest industry news stories. And on Thursdays, we'll be grilling some of the biggest experts in financial services on what they do for a living. You'll have the chance to ask your questions and get them answered live on the show by some of the best minds in the industry. Find out more by heading over to our 11FS LinkedIn page. The banking business model is broken. The question is, How can we rebuild it? Embedded finance presents a massive opportunity for banks to play a new role in the financial services ecosystem, offering more revenue streams, lower costs, and higher margins. Our new report, Better Banking Business Models, Embedded Finance and the Path to Growth, far from just being a very catchy title, is also a must-read for banks considering the smartest next step. Head to bit.ly slash banking as a service to download the report for free. Thanks. And now on with the show. So we touched a lot before the break on, um, you know, where fintech has uh, evolved and sort of where it's got to some of the challenges. I'm interested, Mike, just to get your opinion on the sort of role of regulation um, within all of that, I guess, where are some of the regions that have been uh, 
leading from a, a regulatory perspective and what that's meant for those respective markets. Yeah, sure. I, and, and I think, you know, when you think about, you know, those success criteria, those building blocks for fintech, et cetera, it's probably, you know, broader than, than, than just the regulator. Um, but I think, you know, the UAE led the charge for sure, right? Hats off to them. They went off, they developed accelerators, they had a decent VC community in there, solid talent pool, first out the gate, right? In particular, Dubai, I'd say. But, you know, that charge was led by an offshore regulator. It wasn't the main regulator, it was the DIFC, right? You know, that wanted to attract more into, into their kind of, you know, financial system. I think second up after that was Bahrain. You know, what was once the financial center of the Middle East had lost out to, to, to nearby Dubai, um, but they're not going to take it lying down, you know. So their regulator realized this. They kind of stepped up and they literally went out and pioneered the regulations required, making it very fintech friendly, working the whole digital ecosystem, you know, getting infrastructure in place of so bringing AWS in as you're in, so making sure that that type of stuff was there. You know, working with um, you know different banks, fintech, you name it, right? They they were really trying to make it as easy and friendly as possible. But I think now, you know, the sleeping giant is awake. That is Saudi, and it's on the march. Some of the regulator there has been amazing. Um, it went off and established fintech Saudi, and which is like an independent agency which just has a a sole remit and mission to go foster you know the fintech community. Make sure that you know banks are supported. Make sure that you know introductions are made. You know that whole facilitation piece, um, and ensure that you know the kingdoms at the forefront and all of this. And and to be honest, it doesn't surprise me that Samar have been like this. They've always been pretty, you know, leading the way. You know, they started a credit bureau years and years ago before anybody else wanted to kind of look at that type of stuff. They went and built their own kind of, you know, you know, payment scheme to compete with Visa and MasterCard. And, you know, they've built a commercial data science company. This is a regulator, right, that's done this. So incredible. So um, I, I think, that, you know, that that would be my, uh, my, my take on what's what's really worth uh, talking about in, in this region. Yeah, I know. I know. Sama have been super proactive and super hands on. Um, Amir, I know. Um, you know, you guys have been going through the process of of getting licensed. I think you know in the the UAE and probably also looking at um, some other of the GCC markets. I guess it'd be interesting just to get your experience of of, of going through that process from the perspective of a, a fintech startup. I mean, the process. To be honest with you, um, I mean, we've gone through it. It takes a, it, it takes quite a bit of time because it's not as easy as some other markets like Egypt and, uh, you know, some of the other Middle Eastern developing markets to get some of the licenses. Uh, they're more strict in, uh, um, you know, speaking about the IFC, the regulator out here is DFSA, and there's a new regulator which out of Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi Global Market, is called FSRA, and a lot of the money service businesses and payment players are starting to move towards there because of the, um, they were probably quicker than the DFSA in terms of, um, you know, passing different licenses to money service businesses that are, you know, launching out here. But the frameworks really came out just recently. I mean, it's only a few months that the frameworks just started getting established because they came out with the license, they give it to two, three companies just to test it out so they can build out their frameworks. and. Um, you know, now they have this thing called the Reg Labs and the ITL, and you know, Sama has a Reg Lab over there as well. And you know, this—I mean, it's—it's it's very, very ripe. 
I mean, it's a very complicated structure. You have to be working with a bank that is regulated by the central bank if you want to work in AD. So it's it's a you know it's it's a very complicated structure because you have all these different um, you know you have this uh, DIFC authority, you have the mainland, you have this um, you have uh, the ADGM authorities, you have the central bank, and everyone's still saying different things. I think I think a mere complicated is definitely the operative word there, isn't it? Um, I, I wonder if um, if you think the you know what the likelihood is of moving towards any sort of regulatory harmonization across any of the countries. Uh. That is actually what they're talking about. But I think more important than this than the reg the regulators are something you can get regulated from the effort. I mean, the license just came out, and you know you can. It takes a bit of time, you know, definitely several months to a year, and and and. By the way, there's been a lot of rejections on applications. I mean, it's very difficult to get. It's not easy to get your license out here. You know, it's uh, a lot of people are getting rejected because they cannot come up with a strong program and strong policies. I mean, this is what the regulators are looking for. A fintech company that has a strong policy, you know, their compliance manuals, everything, their whole structure, their reporting, everything is solid. And uh, it's the, the same thing which I mentioned earlier, that bank-like AML policy. and. And, uh, you know, this is very, very important. And the harmonization is something that's being discussed. But, I mean, it could take another year or so. But you can operate, you know, it takes some time, but you can operate here. But more important than the regulator is having the bin sponsor. Having your partner bank, which is, I mean, I think until pre-COVID, there is absolutely no way. The banks would not work with you. They don't want that competition. They don't want that. And uh, right now it's a bit different. It's a bit, you know, you have to have some relationship with them and they have to do your, they have to approve your business and you have to have a solid program, a lot of different elements. But without the bank, you cannot, uh, I mean, in our space, you cannot work without the bank. I mean, every fintech is different, um, you know, but the ones that they require a bin sponsor or they require a partner bank and they hold client funds and all of that stuff, it's, uh, you cannot, you know, having the regular, you have the regulation, you don't have the bank partner, you cannot launch. Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly, incredibly challenging um, environment, completely understand, both from a... But it's a, a, it's a, it's a good opportunity. I, I Mike, Mike's opportunity is, he has first mover, I mean, this, uh, you know, just launching, this is a lot of barriers to entry, you know, and the people who start, you know, the companies that start to enter in these markets and they figure out all of these different um, complicated structures and they actually launch successfully with the right policies and the right framework and the right partners on board. I mean, those are the ones that I think that are going to succeed. And uh, you're starting to see some acquisitions in the UAE as well. I mean, you got Delivery Hero that just acquired InstaShop just recently for $326 million. I mean, it's recently starting to pick up and this is making noise to a lot of VCs. Let's start investing in the Middle East because these acquisitions are helping the regulators and I mean, this is bringing a lot of awareness because until these acquisitions happen, no one was talking about investing in the in the Middle East. So it's pretty new. No, completely. I completely agree. Kate, I'm quite keen to bring you in here only because, you know, I think um, Amir has quite eloquently, I think, summed up a lot of the challenges on the, the startup side to getting into market and actually acquiring customers. I'm keen to understand from your perspective, because I know that in a lot of these Middle Eastern markets, the traditional incumbents are sort of trusted implicitly. What are your thoughts around how fintechs can start to build trust among the, the consumer population once they actually do get to market and really, you know, start to um, 
acquire customers sort of en masse. And, and, and back to Amir's point, maybe starting to use those more sort of primary accounts rather than secondary accounts. Yeah, and no, I think it's one of the the most interesting facets of, of the region. We use the word traditional banks maybe in, in the UK and in Europe, and it's it's wholly negative. Um, whereas actually, you know, in the in the Middle East, when you speak to customers there, you know, there are huge responsibilities around how money is managed and how money is held. Um, you know, we've not talked about, you know, Islamic finance per se, but, you know, when we speak to customers, that is a key a key consideration. And you know, traditional banks are trusted by customers to to hold their money with care and to manage it in a way that you know, aligns with with their, their beliefs. So that's certainly kind of how a lot of customers see it. So traditional isn't necessarily always bad. Um, and it's trying, trying to find that blend between um, you know, sticking and abiding to some of those key values that customers have um, whilst offering service that is actually delivering in a, in a modern technological sense and actually helping them do the things they want to do. So I think that's a sweet spot really for launching. If you can take something to market that is delivering new value, making customers' lives easier, but reassuring them that in the process of doing that, they're not having to compromise on any of the other things that matter to them when it comes to how their money is, is managed and held. I think that's, you know, alongside all of the stuff that Amis talked about in terms of the regulatory side and the partnership side, you know, that's the other kind of key ingredient from a customer perspective, I think, to success in this region. Nice. And Mike, I know we... Um something that's 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 abundantly the sort of case in in Saudi Arabia is that there's sort of ever increasing ways now for customers to spend money right like there's this sort of idea of emergence from an experiential perspective you know you've got a lot more things that you can spend your money on now Saudis are opening up to sort of travel within the country uh, and things like that as well and I think on the other side there's probably pressure to spend to maintain a certain lifestyle so I guess there's opportunities from a propositional point of view for those providers that can also help to build positive behaviors and, and, and habits for customers as well. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And, and you, know, you only have to look at kind of the, you know, the priorities of the regulator. And one of them is, you know, you want to create a nation of homeowners. We want to kind of, you know, create a nation of savers as well. Um, there's a couple of others, but actually that, that, that just shows you that they're, you know, trying to kind of, you know, solidify, like you say, good habits. And that's why it's about financial education just as much as, as everything else. Um, so you're absolutely on the money. Yeah. I think what's nice about that, Mike, as well is, um, it aligns to, um, the, the sort of government led initiatives like vision 2030, that want to create a populace that's more independent. You know, I think there's some statistics that say that only 2% on average of um, household income goes towards household savings, whereas in a healthy economy, that's supposed to be close to 10%, et cetera. So there's an opportunity for providers like yourselves to sort of align these things um, in terms of your own digital strategy as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, these nuances, you know, that we spoke about earlier. And, you know, that, that, that for me is is something that if we can change will be so beneficial for all. But when you get married in Saudi, typically, I'm not saying it's on, on it's everywhere, but typically as the man, I am there to provide for everything. And my wife, who could even earn more than me, that's her money to do what she wants to. So what's mine is ours and what's hers is hers. And actually the power of bringing those two incomes together 
and what they could do with it. If you can unlock that and change some of these just social norms, it's incredible, huge opportunity. And you know, when we you know continue to do our primary research on an almost weekly basis, and we talk to young Saudis about that, you, you can see the you know the light bulb switch on and kind of like wow. Yeah, can you imagine the house that we can buy doing that? Can you imagine that I don't have to do, uh, you know, drive as an Uber guy at night because we, you know, we could do that. It, yeah, simple stuff. And again, going back to stuff that we we touched on earlier on in the show is, you know, those are sort of key things for customers in that segment. But again, very easy things to miss or very easy things to uh, to sort of overlook or take for granted. I think, look, your point about the sort of potential for fintech in this region for solving very, very real customer problems, I think is absolutely huge. I think it's a nice um, time now just to, I'll, I'll, I'll throw to each of you individually, maybe if we take sort of 90 seconds or so, I'd be really interested just to get your individual perspectives around, you know, sort of what now, what's next for fintech in the Middle East? What should we expect to see coming down the line? So um, Amir, why don't I uh, throw to you uh, straight off the bat, I'd be really interested to get your uh, perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, a few things. I mean, um, I would say RegTech, open banking, neo banks. Um, you know, a lot of different other players in the uh, you know targeting remittance. Um, banks starting to cope with this whole concept that you know fintechs are not. I mean, they're not direct competition at all. You know, rather it's, you know, I see banks in five to 10 years from now, they're going to be more like the rails that fintechs need to ride on. Because, I mean, you have Barclays in Europe. I mean, they've done an excellent job. And, you know, rather than competing with these fintechs, why not be their partner? And, you know, they're targeting these niche markets better than the banks are. Because, you know, it's like having different programs running at the same time. So it's very beneficial for the banks. And, these banks coming on board, partnering up, lending their balance sheet to these fintechs who are doing nano financing, microfinancing, um, you know, giving access to these players that are in uh, open banking, uh, like you know, companies that are trying to replicate what Plaid has done, and uh, you know, other neo banks that are you know launching in this market. I mean, we all actually re- we all we all rely somewhat on the banks and uh, and other financial institutions. Uh, you know, unless if you go for a full-on di- uh, digital banking license and uh, and that, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, I think that's the, that's the first things we're going to be seeing, and I think people are already open. I mean, it's, this is something that's already happening. People are very open to, um, uh, you know, start using innovative solutions to save more money, save more time, and uh, you know, manage their uh, manage their wealth better. I mean, it's uh, it's happening right now. There's uh, very successful fintech companies that took the first wave for fintechs and uh, robo-advisory. Uh, I mean, I think those were the first fintechs that I think they've come into Saudi as well. Uh, they've done an excellent job. But, uh, I mean, the next phase, I think it's payment service providers. Uh, you know, I think yeah. it's payment service providers and and other players that are, uh, you know, providing a service to them. So, I mean, there's other players doing PISPs, AISPs, um, you know, I think these are the next, uh, this is the next wave that's happening right now. Great. Um, Mike, what do you think? What's, what's coming down the road? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, f- fully aligned. Um, I think I think you know rather than me just talking about fintech, you know, let me just broaden it and just talk about financial ecosystem or digital banking ecosystem, whatever. I think fin- financial inclusion, big opportunity. We've got to solve it. How can we be in 2020 and there are still people that are, are, are denied access to you know decent price leverage and decent priced everything else? Right, it's just shame on us. Right, we got to figure that out. So, Amir. I salute you, sir, and your team, and I wish you all the best with that. On, I think cybersecurity as well is something that's, uh, that, that will continue to grow and be a bigger opportunity. You know, when I think of what we're doing, um, we are a bank that gives bins, right? It has to be commercially, you know, right for people, but we do it. We've done it before, and, you know, I'm forever looking at new ways. If I put my chief strategy officer hat on, um, you know, I'm forever looking for ways to to generate new fee income for the organization instead of just relying on interest income. And, you know, I've got a load of assets that I can monetize more. I've got a license. I've got bins that I can kind of give out. I've got a lot of data that I can do stuff with. I've built in a set of APIs that I can monetize. And I can I can partner and sell this to fintech and and there's quid pro quo so you know bank as a service for me is a big thing that, that that you know i'm personally working on um we're getting ready for open banking even before we need to um but on and, and you know the final thing for me for any kind of fintechs that are listening and thinking you know what you know or new entrepreneurs that are listening that you know what should i do think about wholesale banking guys think about corporate banking it's not just about lending. The banks can do that. We'll do that. We've got the balance sheet. But think about the jobs to be done that big corporates the world over need that the banks today just, just can't do it. We just, we just do it wrong. There's so much opportunity there. All fintech, or, well, not all, but a lot of fintech focuses on solving consumer-type problems. Now's the time to go big or go home on corporate. You know, I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and Kate, the last word on this to you. Yeah, I suppose it's going to be sort of similar to, to Mike in a way, but the thing that really blew me away when we were speaking to customers in, in Saudi last year was the, the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit, like the passion that so many of these customers have to to start businesses, to, to grow opportunities, to make things happen. Um, so, yeah, I think the corporate space, yes, but I'm, I'm really intrigued uh, and excited to see the innovation that, fintech can bring to the market for for entrepreneurs for small business owners um, at the moment as as we touched on you know, we focused a lot today on on the consumer banking space and the innovation that's happening there is is great to see and is a necessary uh, first step before we can see some of the innovation happen in other spaces but yeah thinking back to some of the conversations with consumers i'd love them to be able to have access to some of the innovation we've seen in the sme space and other markets so that they can really have the support they want to to make some of those ambitions a reality because the passion there is is phenomenal. Yeah, I completely agree. And look, I think, you know, a, a sort of common thread there around, you know, everything that you guys have said sort of speaks to a real desire to again solve for real customer, whether that's individuals, corporates, SMEs, and sort of enabling those guys to uh to achieve what it is that they can achieve with the proper infrastructure and the proper support. Um, look, I think the opportunity, um, as I've said, in, in, in the Middle East in particular, is just absolutely huge. Um, I commend all you guys for the awesome work that you're doing in the space. I think, you know, keep an eye on this because um, this is um, 
I think we're, we're sitting at the bottom of the J curve, or maybe slightly um, slightly further on than the bottom. But I think this is going to explode. Um, I would more than happily sit here and talk about this for another couple of hours. Um, but sadly, that does wrap up today's discussion. I want to thank each of you so much for joining me. Um, let's go around the uh, the virtual table. Where can people find out uh, more about you guys and uh, your companies? Let's start with you, Mike. So actually, our, our company website's not that interesting. So don't go on to, uh, to that. Come and see what I've got to say on LinkedIn. You'll you'll find me at Go Mike Cunningham is kind of my like my URL there. Um, or drop me a line, Mike.c at BSFDV. I'm serious. You know, we're hiring. We want real talent. You know, it doesn't matter where you are, we'll bring you in. You know, we're building the best uh in uh in, in what we're doing in Saudi. So yeah. Love to hear from people. And 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 I can reiterate that. Um, you know, Mike's building uh, a superstar team out in Riyadh um that is actively you know building the future of, of of digital financial services um so definitely do get in touch um Amir over to you where can people find out more about you and, and Jingle Pay um I, I think it would be in you know either our site jinglepay.com or uh, like Mike said you know I'm, I love talking about this space and uh um, you know, our company or the space or uh, anything, and it's just about entrepreneurship. So I'm happy to um, engage with uh, anyone who's interested in, uh, you know, uh, talking about anything uh, over my LinkedIn. And uh, we're having some very exciting news coming up soon. So uh, I can't wait to announce that in the press and uh, just stay tuned. Um, <laughs> and uh, Kate, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I don't have any big announcements coming up, sadly. So, uh, but if people, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Kate Moody, uh, and I'm on Twitter at K8Moody. Always like to have a chat about customers and mad things going on in the world of, of fintech. So happy to chat. Awesome. And as for me, you can find me at Ross Gallagher 07 on Twitter and Ross Gallagher on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review. It really does help us to make it better. And it also helps others find the show. Speaking of making it better, do not forget to give us your thoughts via our super quick survey. That link again is bit.ly slash fintech insider survey. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or fintech insider or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you again for listening. Goodbye.